Why are you so good at sales? I think it's because I'm so sure of who I am and what I bring to the table. And I think a lot of people waver on that. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I cannot wait for you to hear today's episode because I am sitting down with my good friend, Kayla Kraft. Yes, the mommy millionaire herself, the woman who coined the brand mommy millionaire. I'm sitting down with Kayla and we are doing a face-off interview. Now, I've gotten such a positive response from this style of interview that I've done in the past where I sit down with a good friend of mine and we just fire questions back and forth knowing what we've always wanted to ask each other. So that's what I'm doing with Kayla. And we end up having such a great conversation about all things parenting and money and being unapologetic and sales and why you should be at events and like you name it. She asked me some really good questions that took me a moment or two to come up with the answer and vice versa. So I can't wait for you to hear this episode unfold over the next several minutes. Now, not only do I know Kayla from being a good friend of ours, we're friends with her and her husband, uh, Chase, but also on top of that, Kayla is a part of my very elite level mastermind. And remember, my elite level mastermind is a very well, carefully curated group of entrepreneurs that are making between 500000 and typically $3 million. So right between that sweet spot of $500,000 and $3 million, whether it's gross sales or whether it's income, that's who falls into this elite level mastermind. Now, the reason why we all become so close is because in that level of mastermind, you're dealing with really big things. You're not only helping move each other's businesses to multiple, multiple seven figures. You're not only sharing your trade secrets. You're not only sharing your contacts and accelerating everybody's business that much faster because you're now just one introduction away from that person you were hoping to meet the whole time. But most importantly, at that level, you know what it's like to get each other's back. And so for one year, when you lock arms and when you get into the trenches with each other and you make it as much of a priority to grow the person's business next to you as it is for them to grow yours, that's when all the magic happens. And we use the 50-50 model where I bring in all my high-level friends and influencers and entrepreneurs to spend 50% of the mastermind teaching you guys all of the secrets that they're doing and then the other 50% of the time is using very carefully curated exercises that I've created in order to work on each other's business. And so it's no wonder that we've become so close with Kayla and, and with everybody else in this mastermind. Now, here's why I tell you this. Um, one is some background based on how I've gotten to know Kayla and her business so well. But also number two, we are going to be filling this mastermind for the 2020 season coming up. We're going to start... Well, we've already started taking applications right now. You can go apply by going to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. But we're going to start going through those applications towards the end of October here and doing all of our application calls in November. Now, here's the catch. I've decided to make this elite level mastermind even more intimate than it was last year. And we're applying 
this coaching model to it where I'm going to be doing some one-on-one coaching with you through the whole mastermind. So it's like a mastermind and a one-on-one style coaching program. It's a hybrid of the two. And so because we're making it more intimate and because we're making it even better than the past few years, what's going to happen is there's going to be even fewer seats available. And we just want all of the absolute right fit individuals in there. So here's what I want you to do. I want you, if you are making five hundred to three five hundred thousand to three million dollars and you want to get into the multiple, multiple seven figures, if you're looking for that tribe to get your back, I want you to go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. Again, it's fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. And I want you to fill out the application and then you and I are going to jump on the phone and we're going to have a chat about your business goals. And we're going to find out if we can help get you to where you really want to go in 2020 once and for all. Like, Are we going to make 2020 the greatest business year you've ever had yet? That's what we're going to talk about. So go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind, fill out the app, and you and I are going to be jumping on the call. So get ready, listen up, maybe even take some notes because the deep dive that Kayla and I do is absolutely awesome. Kayla freaking craft. I have been looking forward to doing a face-off interview with you for a long time. How are you doing? <laughs> Yay, I'm good. I'm so excited to do this. Me too. It's you been know a why? long time in the making. Seriously, here's why. Number one, <laughs> I just love what you do and what you represent. Number two, we know each other so well. It'll be fun to see where this actually goes. We'll like know how to push each other's buttons or we'll know like what we want to pull out of each other for, <laughs> for our audience. I know. I know. I'm excited. I'm kind of nervous about these rapid fire questions since I always listen to your podcast. No, nah, but... let's get it. There's nothing to be nervous about. I'm the one that's nervous because I have no idea what's coming. At least you know what they're going to be. Can I ask you one first? Yes. All right. Real easy. Just so everybody knows, where do you live? Newport Beach, California. All right. That's cheating because the that's best an place easy ever. Oh, uh-uh. Just a little bit north of there called Santa Monica <laughs> is the best place ever. What's your favorite no. quote? Okay. My favorite quote, gosh. Uh, Nothing changes if nothing changes. That's I feel like my quotes change all the time, but that's mine right now. Yeah, that's like your quote of the moment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like quotes have to change because you're like always going into different phases of life and so like a quote from 5 years ago isn't going to have the same meaning as one right now. Totally. It doesn't like yeah, it doesn't hold you and grip you. Yeah. Like So you want to lay one on now. me back? Who is the most fascinating person you've ever met? Ooh, dang. You're going deep right away. I would have to say Jim Quick is one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. Because he's I so meet him. honest. Oh, we'll totally do that at Pencils of Promise Gala that we're going to in a couple of weeks. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. He has a table right next to us. Uh, here's why he's so freaking smart and so quiet and unassuming, yet he knows every single A lister like besties. The other day, he went to Will Smith's um, new movie and he was on the premiere, and Will went running up to him and yelled, Jim, what's up? And gave him the biggest hug ever. So he's like this man <laughs> of mystery that you would never expect. Mm, I love that. I yes. love that. Okay. What is one of your superpowers? Uh, sales. Oh, yeah. For sure it is. Like you can sell anybody anything. <laughs> Does that work for you or against you ever? I feel like it always works for me. All right. We're going to circle back and get into that. Lay one oh, okay. Okay. All right. What TV series do you keep like circling back to? Maybe rewatching billions, billions, billions. billions. I knew, I, I knew you were going to say that, but if I thought maybe I he's... need to like get motivated and run through a wall. I put on some billions and I'm ready to go. 
But you know what? Like you had to have like a TV show you watched like back in the day, like Seinfeld or something like that. Like I was obsessed with Seinfeld. Mine was Entourage. See, uh, okay. I've made I your husband seen, watch like a hundred hours of Entourage in a row while we're snowboarding. I know. I've heard about it. And I still... I haven't watched it, but I did read that guy's book. And I thought he was a real person. Like I thought oh, it was a real character. The Ari Gold. Gold book. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> it is good. <laughs> it's so good. Oh God, I love that you read that. Okay. Oh my God. I was just going to say, what's one of your favorite books? It can't be the Ari Gold book. No, 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 no. You know what? Right now, I think my favorite book is The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Mm-hmm. Um, Because that really changed a lot for me when I read it. Like, gosh, when was it? Like five years ago or something like that. I remember listening to it on Audible. And it started to make sense like about impacting other people. Because before, I was just so focused on myself. You know? Yeah. I read that when I was reading 30 books in 30 days. It changed my life for sure. Oh. Maybe that's why I picked it up. It might have been you. How long ago was that? Uh, I read that four and a half years ago. And then I interviewed him on the show about a year after. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I haven't heard that one yet. You got to go way back in the archives for that one. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, lay one more on me. Uh, okay. I want to go serious for okay. a second. So who is the most important person in your life? Lori, hands down. Um, and that's not some generic answer because she's my wife and I want her... You know, I'm trying to get like goody points or something like that. Here's why. One, when we met, we couldn't have been more opposite. So... She liked a lot of the things and had a style very much that was opposite of me and vice versa. Music, styles of workout, hobbies, what we enjoyed, what we considered you know, art or acceptable pastimes, like radically different from each other. Yeah. And it was that difference that brought us to the middle and made us really well-rounded. So I'll give you an example. I used to be such a perfectionist. I would not do anything unless I knew for a fact that it was going to turn out where I was winning or or I looked really good. Mm-hmm. And she completely was the opposite. She would jump off a cliff. She would do whatever the heck it took. Didn't care how she looked. None of that stuff. And she literally like told me, I'm not going to have this boring life where we're always being weighed down by your perfectionism and, and really helped me work on it. So that's just one of a million examples as to why she's hands down the most important person in my, in my life right now. Oh, I love that. What are some things everyone should try at least once? I think everybody should try Soul Cycle at least once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I think everybody should try. I think the first time I tried Soul Cycle was with you. Was it? See? And so I'm telling the Actually, truth, aren't I? And I and now I'm obsessed. I go three times a week. I think, oh, all right, I got an answer for you. I think everybody should try entrepreneurship at least once to see if it's for them Ooh. or not. Mm-hmm. I I totally agree. Yes. Because then once you try it, if it's not for you, you still have like kind of compassion for the people that are entrepreneurs and you have their back and support them. Yeah. And even not as a, an employee. Not only that, like that's how you find out it's not for you because there's too many people mm-hmm. out there being like, oh, I hear everyone talking about entrepreneurship and I feel like I'm missing the boat. You don't know unless you try it. And it is not for everybody. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. it's not for it. You know what I can't stand is when people are like, Oh, everybody can be successful in this if they want to be. And I disagree. I totally, totally agree with you on that fact. I've always said they have to have... It just depends on what type of industry you're in. But you have to have an it factor mm-hmm. as... I don't know. Especially, I think, what we do. Okay. That leads me to my first real question for you. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. One of my favorite things about you is you do have that it factor. This marketability, this unapologeticness, this... This certainty of you know where you're going and you know how you're getting there and 
you're going come hell or high water and you don't apologize for it. Where'd that come from? Hmm. You know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I was like, how do I bottle this up and, and give it to people so everybody can be like this? And I think you can't do it because it's my experience in life that caused me to live like this. You know, I was raised by a single mom. And when my parents got divorced and my dad went to jail, and then he was in and out of jail most of my life. I always thought that there was like something wrong with me because I'm like, gosh, how could he, you know, choose drugs like over and over again? Like there must be something wrong with me. Like I'm unlovable, you know? And so for most of my life, that's how I felt. And so I got myself like in a really toxic relationship in like my early, my late teens. And I landed myself in a hospital. Do you even know the story? No, landed I have myself no idea. In the hospital when I was 18 years old. And I was literally, I was getting blood transfusions. Like I was sick. And Chase and I had actually just met, but I was still in this bad relationship. And, you know, I had ulcers. And they said, Kayla, like, the stress that you're putting like on yourself, you're not going to live until you're 30. At like, 18, you already had stress ulcers. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was so bad, Chris. So bad. So that was like when I decided everything in my life had to change. And I became certain that I was the number one person that I had to love. And I became like raw vegan when I was 18. I left the hospital. I broke up with that guy. And um, just completely like turned my lifestyle around and was like put major boundaries everywhere. And then I just started to love myself for a long time and then put me first. And a lot of people don't take the time to do that. They just, you know, continue to people please and do all this stuff. But when you love yourself so much, you start to realize what it is that you really want, what what standards you're gonna set for your life. And then you realize like when you're faced with death almost. Like you really find out what's important to you and what you don't want to lose. Mm. And I saw like my future in front of me and I said, like, I know I have so much impact to give in this world. And like I I can't like keep playing this game. And so that's what I did. That's amazing. You said something in there that I actually think is almost like borderline a formula that I hope people caught. You said when you really learn how to love yourself enough, and then I'm paraphrasing. That's when you kind of become unapologetic about where you're going. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's almost like a formula. Like when people are like, where do I get the confidence? Where do I get the swagger? When do I stop letting people beat me down on my dreams? It's when you do enough work to love yourself because when you love yourself, you don't give a shit what they think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are just scared to look inwards and see really like the darkness within them and the light within them. And I had a lot of time. To do that when I had to heal myself, you know, when I was 18. So that's crazy. You know, I don't think I had, I never went in and got diagnosed for ulcers, but I, most people don't know this, had the craziest stomach problems ever, like two and a half years ago. And I'm not the go to the doctor kind of guy. Like I have to yeah. be dying. Like you got to yeah. get me to a doctor in an ambulance. But I had a friend of mine who was in hospital at the exact same time for stress ulcers because he was working too hard, burning the candle at both ends. And he, we got on the phone and he gave me like his diagnosis and here's what he was experiencing. It was all the same stuff that I was experiencing. So oh I started Googling like, how can you make this better and all this other stuff. And while I didn't go to the doctor and get diagnosed, I'm 80%, 90% sure that's what it was. And had to change a whole bunch of things in order to feel better. And I haven't gotten them mm-hmm. back since. But 
Um, what was really crazy was the one thing I had to change the most was just how significant I was making everything in my mind. Like that's where the stress was coming from. Oh so my gosh, if I looked at yes. my workload right now, Kayla, it's not that it's any less, to be honest with you. It's that I, I'm, I've stopped making a mountain out of a molehill. I've stopped mm-hmm. making it so significant or so, you know, like dire straits or I'm so like wearing this, I'm so busy badge of honor type of thing. And I think that's the biggest shift that has, you know, put me in position to be able to do just as much, but not feel that stress anymore. Stress is killing people every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember when I was 17, 18, around that, the, the biggest stress in my life was I needed money. So I had three different jobs. And that stress of going, oh my gosh, like I need money, I need money, I need money was, was making me sick. It was making me sick. And there's so many people that are now in their 30s, in their 40s, feeling that way, you know, and a lot of people do struggle with ulcers and they just don't talk about it. It's so scary. It's so scary. You guys got to decrease your stress. But so meditation, I mean, it's crazy that my personal development journey began by reading a raw food, like (laughs) vegan lifestyle book. And they started talking about thoughts or things. And if you want to experience a peaceful life, you have to change your thoughts. Mm -hmm. How can we stop eating? How can we stop eating raw vegan? Oh my gosh. I wish I had pictures. I was so skinny. I was literally so skinny. And I, you know, then I, when I was 19 and Chase and I started dating, I couldn't keep up with the price of juicing and all that stuff at that time because I was a full time nursing student and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of just slowly started like letting food back in my lifestyle, but I was always like very strict about when I'm still in about certain things I put in. Think of, um, Oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name right now. Who's the biggest raw vegan influencer out there? Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know actually right now. I couldn't tell you. It'll come to me later. Okay. Uh, we'll park yeah. him on that one. How, <laughs> so is that how you're like managing stress? I mean, you have multi-million dollar businesses. You've got Chase, which is hard to manage. I'm just kidding. You've got a family. You've got all these moving parts. Is that really what you do? You just kind of meditate and exercise it away right now? Right now, yeah, I do exercise a ton. And actually, I'm going on a silent retreat thing tomorrow. So I'll tell you how that goes. No, you're not. I really am because I need to do something drastic. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm excited. So... No, you don't get to skip over that. Like, why are you going to a silent retreat? Where did you hear about it? And what are you hoping happens? Well, first of all, I need to get like rid of my phone. So if my phone is near me, like... I can have self-control up for like, you know, two hours where I'll stay away from it. But there's no way I would naturally stay away from my phone for 48 hours. Like I just can't do it or from a computer. I don't think I could either. Right. It's like you want to work. I'm that's just what I like to do. And so I need to get away and get with my thoughts, get with my feelings before my live event that's coming up. Because I really know that I gotta like connect and tune in to to the people that are coming and also what my soul needs to tell them. So that's why I'm doing this. Something drastic. Like I'm gonna, I I I hate like the fact that I'm not even going to be able to talk to my kids for 48 hours. Like it's freaking me out, but I'm doing it because they're going to be fine. They're going to be with Chase. He's like the best dad ever. So it's 48 hours long? Yeah. Is this up in San Francisco area by chance? No, it's here in in Newport. Oh, okay. Cuz my you know Seth Madison, I think, right? Y- yeah. He yeah. went to a 5-day one. Holy oh. crap, could you imagine? Is up by San Did Francisco. Did his life change? It totally changed his life. Like yeah. radically changed his life. So they do a lot of them in Joshua Tree too, which is mm. right over here. 
but crazy. you got to do it. I can't wait to hear to how it. it goes. Yeah. That's I'll amazing. I'm excited. So, okay. So one thing I've always wanted to ask you is, you know, when you made the transition from... Well, you're still in network marketing. But when you made the transition from network marketing to you know, doing what you're doing now, like podcasting, masterminds, live events, like all of the things, you know, how did you deal with all of the heat that, you know, was kind of getting thrown at you? I just had somebody actually in my DMs asking me this question. They're in a different company and they're starting a podcast. They're getting a lot of flack. And I would love to hear your take on that. Yeah. So this is a very real thing. First of all, I love the industry. I, my favorite thing about the industry and especially the company that you and I shared in common is I feel like it's the best entrepreneur training with the lowest amount of risk possible. So here's oh, yeah. why I'm such a fan is you get to learn like sales, marketing, team building, conflict resolution, money management, leadership, all these different traits that you need to take that next step in entrepreneurship with Little to no downside. I mean, the entire downside is that you're eating some shakes that you'd be paying for anyways, or you're you know, wearing some clothes that you'd be wearing anyways, or whatever company it is that you're associated with. So I love that it is a high potential payoff, not mm-hmm. just in the lessons, but also monetarily with, in my opinion, 0% risk. The people are like, it didn't work for me. I spent all this money. didn't make any. Really? Did you consume the products? Because right. That's why I don't buy into that excuse. Now, to your question, you know, it was not easy and it was not comfortable. And a lot of people said and still do say some really mean and hurtful stuff. And I just don't care because mm-hmm. while I still highly support the company that you and I, you know, built big businesses in, uh, and while I still support the people there. I just don't have time for any bullshit that might come across the lips of any small thinkers that are within some mm-hmm. of the people within these different companies. And, you know, I feel like it's a bit hypocritical to say, come over here, come over here, you need multiple streams of income. But then when you continue to build multiple streams of income, they say, whoa, 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 you're not allowed to build multiple streams of income. What were you thinking? Right? Mm-hmm. It's such a funny double standard. And so I knew this for certain. Uh, one, I knew I loved the industry. I loved the company that we're with. And there was nothing I was going to do to leave it. Like To me, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. But I also know, number two, I'm not going to have all my eggs in one basket. Nobody with any you know, true common sense would have all of their eggs in just one basket. Because if anything ever happened to that quote basket for some unforeseen reason, now you are left high and dry. And the reason I'm passionate about having multiple income sources is because when... Let's see, 11 years ago. 11 years ago, when Lori and I lost everything, it was because Mm -hmm. I was the only primary breadwinner. She didn't have any kind of a career whatsoever at that time. And so we had all my eggs in my quote basket in my corporate career at that time when the recession hit. We lost everything. Now, we didn't lose everything because of the recession. I want to be very clear. We lost everything because we were living beyond our means. And the recession is what tipped it over the edge. But... And you were day, in the banking industry in the for banking everybody industry. listening in. Yeah. So from that day on, <clears throat> Lori and I swore we would never put all of our eggs in one basket again. I remember Lori looking at me as we're packing up the house. 
And you know, we had to short sell this house that we had just built. And she said to me, she said, I'm never going to let this happen again. Like I'm getting into the game. And that became, by the way, the beginning of Lori as everybody knows her today. Nobody knew her back then for, for anything at that point. Right. And so I just am such a firm believer in taking care of yourself and those around you and gambling by... And by the way, this has nothing to do with network marketing, really. If I was in corporate America, I would have an additional income stream. If I had just you know the podcast, I would also build another in- income stream. Like, In my opinion, you must have multiple income streams. So if one went away... And here's how Lori and I base our budget, by the way. This is very important for your listeners. We live as though if one income stream went away, no matter which one it is, we would not have to change our lifestyle tomorrow. That's the rule of thumb that everyone should be building towards. I freaking love that. I love that. So, you know what I think like a lot of people, they because they don't have rock bottom moments like what you guys had and what Chase and I have experienced too, they don't have that pain to go like, oh, you know, I'm gonna make something big, I'm gonna play bigger, I'm never gonna be in this spot again. Why do you think it is that pain? pushes people to pleasure. Ah, You know how Tony Robbins always says, there's only two reasons that we do anything. It's either to avoid pain or to gain pleasure. I think that avoiding pain is 10 times more powerful than just gaining pleasure. And and I can prove it. Like It's pleasurable to have six-pack abs, but most people don't do what it takes to get them. But they will do what it takes to make all those healthy decisions when they've had a heart attack. Or when they've mm-hmm. had a stroke, right? Something really mm-hmm. painful. So in that exact scenario, I can prove that we will take 10 times more action or it's 10 times more powerful to avoid pain than it is to gain pleasure. Otherwise, all these people that fall susceptible to the concept of good is the enemy of great. If gaining pleasure was just as powerful, then good being the enemy of great wouldn't exist. You'd still be chasing down great with all the same zest you did as back when you had your back against the wall. And so mm. I... Listen, I'm not going to convince anybody that it feels good in the moment to be broken, but in whatever your form of broken is. But I will tell you, there's nothing more powerful than getting to start from ground zero with nothing to lose and nowhere to go but up. And that pain of your back being against the wall with spikes in the wall to get you to sprint going forward no matter what. And that option to choose again, right? When you're stripped of everything, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it is, you know, it's a relationship, when you're stripped of everything and you get to choose again from a blank slate, how do you want to show up this time in the world? There's no better gift than that. Now, here's the ca- the caveat. I always teach people once they start doing well again that they need to manufacture new pain points. They literally need <laughs> to manufacture new pain points or they're not going to keep growing. And so, what I mean by that is I'm going to use myself for example. I continue to invite higher and higher and higher performing individuals into our circle of influence so that I continue to feel the pain of feeling like the least successful person in the room. Otherwise, I won't continue to move the bar and take the action necessary to get there. So when, you know, here's a real life example. The reason why we're building this new company and we haven't told people what it is yet, but you know what it is is because we haven't built and sold a company yet. We haven't had a big nine-figure exit yet. And all, all my friends basically have. And so I, I now feel that pain of being like, wait a minute. Some people would say we're doing really well, but now all the other people I hang around, they've all built and sold companies. and I haven't done that yet. And I kind of feel like 
the turd of the group. And that's a good thing for me. That gets me moving. That gets me motivated. So it's manufacturing new pain points so that you stay just as motivated as you were when you had your back against the wall. Oh my gosh, this is so true. I just went to one of my girlfriend's houses that lives like in this the most expensive part of basically mm-hmm. Orange County. And the view, I mean, everything about our house, it's like a $25 million home. And it's just gorgeous. And I just was walking through it and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I feel like a loser. And it's so good to sometimes feel like the loser. And instead of going, I think a lot of people will shrink and go, oh God, I can never have this. Me, I'm just like, I better have this in the next year or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yep. the, I, you do, you do have to manufacture those pain points. And like one of the things that, you know, I'm in your mastermind mm-hmm. and a couple months ago, you guys asked us to stand up and declare what our goal was. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I want a thousand members in my society. And anyways, that didn't happen because of all these excuses that I could have come up with. And I said, well, if I don't have a thousand members, which was a certain amount of income by October 1st, I have to get rid of my G Wagon. Mm-hmm. And you've drove a G Wagon, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's fun to drive a G Wagon. And anyways, so it was coming down to the wire where I was going to have to get rid of it. And I was like, okay, I have to find a different way to get these people in through the door to the society. So I came up with affiliates and we allowed like the society members to be affiliates to build the group because I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm not going to get rid of my G Wagon. It, it caused me to take like massive, massive action. That's to a manufactured pain wanted. point. Right. That's why right. we do those exercises. I'm telling you, all of us, we've got such good lives and we're grateful for them that we would just kind of stay right about here if we did not manufacture new pain points. And by the way, if anyone's listening, they're like, oh, you poor people, these are such pain points. This is about taking the action to do what it takes to get where you want to go. And if you're saying, why do you have to be so motivated? Or if you're listening to this and you're saying, oh, this is ridiculous. Why can't they be grateful for what they have? My answer to that is because I know there's something far greater inside of me that I'm capable of achieving. And so Mm -hmm. the pain of not getting there to me is, you know, is one of the worst pains on the planet. And so I don't apologize for not I don't apologize for trying to become who I was meant to become. Yeah, heck no. And if anybody's listening to the podcast, like judging any of us, they need to look in the mirror and say, why does this bother me? And it probably bothers you because you're not living up to your potential. Nope. You could have all of those things too. So before you get all cray cray, like look in the mirror. I want to go back. I want to go back to your network marketing question. It's still okay. relevant to what we're talking about right now. Um, you built a heck of a business and uh, one heck of a team, and you also have gone out and created other income streams and have gotten resistance. How have you dealt with that? With people saying, "How dare you go build this?" or "How dare you go build that?" You know, I just I don't entertain it, and I find other people to put in place in my support system. Like you, um, Susan Sly, like people that have come from the industry and you know are doing other things outside of it, and then just filling it with other amazing people, you know. And I've really like tried to. I used to take things really personally when it came to friendships and business partnerships and all that kind of stuff. And now I just have become neutral about other people's actions because it's not worth my peace mm. and. Uh, I like to just think about every person that's in our life. It's kind of like, you know, you're reading a good book and it's sometimes like a good book you keep picking up, you know, and you read it over and over again. But then one day it's just like the book 
might not mean as much to you. So you put it up on the shelf and you're, it's not on your nightstand anymore. And that's just how people in our life are. You know, like they're there for a season and then, you know, you move on to different seasons and just that's, that's how I like compartmentalized it almost and didn't take it personal. I was like, gosh, I learned so much in that season. I'm so grateful for all those people. And instead of being bitter and resentful, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to love them for who they were to help me be where I am right now. I love that. You're just going to stay in a state of appreciation and let everybody else do and think what they want to do and think, but you're going to stay in that beautiful state. Right. That's so, that's perfect. I absolutely love that. What's your big audacious goal business-wise that most people have no idea about? (laughs) Okay. uh, Big audacious goal. I mean, well, right now, I'm really thinking that I can get Mommy Millionaire to a $100 million company with my big idea that we're launching at Mommy Millionaire Live. There's two big ideas that are going to be launching. And I really truly believe if I could just stay focused, because I can get easily distracted by a lot of shiny objects because I'm good at a lot of things. Um, and if I could just stay focused on that path and bring on the right people, which you've totally helped me with that mindset of hiring the right team, uh, you know, then I think it's definitely gonna happen. But I think a lot of people don't even know what I'm launching. And so, and I'm not ready to share it with the world uh, because you have to be at the live event to <laughs> see what it is. <laughs> then you'll learn afterwards. But I'm really excited because you know my mission in Mommy Millionaire was to create 1 million women making a million dollars or more a year. And so I know that I can't do that alone. And so this next phase of Mommy Millionaire isn't going to be $100 million in Kayla's pocket a year. It's going to be going into a lot of females' pockets and helping create a lot of financial freedom for other women. And that's where I, that's my big audacious goal because it it gets it's just it's so big and it's scary and I'm just so freaking excited about it. Why does that mean so much to you? <sighs> you know, I money means a lot to me because growing up, when you see, you know, when my mom got remarried to my stepdad, all they did was fight about money. And you know, then when my dad would be out of jail, he would always ask me for money, and that's how I would see him. So. You know, like, oh, here's twenty dollars. I'd meet him at the gas station to buy him a fried burrito. Like, money to me was just—it was the fixer of all problems. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that's how—that's part of my identity. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, I know that money does—money doesn't cause happiness. It's what you do with the money. And I think a lot of people, if they didn't have that financial burden on their shoulders, of oh my gosh, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to get my kids in these extracurricular activities? You know, how can I get them in private school? Like that's that's what these women are stressing about. If they could just not stress about that and know that they have a great income coming in, and then know how to, what to do to create their wealth with that cash flow, then you know what? Like the whole world could change because of that. You know what I'm saying? Because then we can actually focus on actual problems, like pay your bills and and then let's fix world hunger. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. You know what's really interesting? You're talking about empowering all of these women and all of these mothers and you know making them significant breadwinners. As you know, we just had dinner with Gary Vee last week. And he stated at the table, he said, the number one mission that he's going to start talking about is this inequality in... And it's not inequality the way you think. It's this inequality in the number of women that are expected to stay home and forego their dreams when really 
they're more type A and more capable of going out, leaving the cave, knocking something over the head and dragging it back to the cave than their man is. (laughs) And the reason why the men go out and try and be the breadwinner and try and be the masculine provider is because society is saying, come on, bro, that's your role. Like If they were to say, I'm happy staying home and I'm happy just being a dad, I'm so glad that my wife is out there making a killer living, they would get teased and razzed a little bit by their bros. Like That's just how guys talk to each other. And the problem is it's causing damage. You know, mm-hmm. Gary says this is causing damage because when you tease your buddy who wants to stay home and, and quote, just be a dad, then that's adding to the problem of this massive inequality in the number of women that should be out there and the number of men that should be back home. He believes it should be really close to 50-50 and is nowhere near there. Hmm. That's a really interesting point. I think that, yeah, it's, oh, I hate that. I hate when people kind of judge other people for the way that they decide to live their lives, you know? And I just think that being a dad is the most important role. I think over 50% of American households right now are fatherless. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just means like, you know, they might have a father, but outside of the home or their, you know, main home. And I mean, you know, I know just knowing you personally, your dad is one of the most important people in your life, the yep. way that he shaped you, the reason why you're having so much impact now. And what what would life and the world look like if women and men had less daddy issues? Mm-hmm. Like all the work that I've had to do because I have so much freaking daddy issues, like I mean, it's just been so much time and it's still things like, you know, that I'm working on. But gosh, if the dad could be home more. Oh, so much could change. Mm-hmm. So much could change. Because I even see that with our kids. Like Chase just gets to be there for everything, mm-hmm. you know? And we're there together, talking them through things, like talking to them about like just having a champion mindset, teaching them the entrepreneur mindset now. And I thought, gosh, if he would have still be working for his dad, he would miss all of these things, yeah. all yeah. of these conversations. That's incredible. What's your best advice for <clears throat> entrepreneurial parents out there? Because I feel like you guys do it so well. Well, I think you have to have special family time and like create non-negotiables with your family. So one of like our non-negotiables as a family is we like to play a card game or some type of game every single night. Um, we do that. So it just connects us. We can't have any phones near us and we play. We just have fun together. I think that's very important. Uh, we also are constantly teaching our kids. And this is good for any entrepreneur parent out there. If you want your kids to be entrepreneurs... I think you have to teach them right away to think about the thoughts that they're thinking and discover them together. So, you know, my nine year old is a hockey player, which, um, and he's so cute and he's so good. But even now, at this nine, at nine years of age, he's already struggling with self doubt and it plays out in games. And so we constantly say, okay, well, what are the thoughts coming up in your head? And we talk him through how to push that away and replace it with a new thought. Both me and Chase are constantly working with him on having that champion mindset. And I think that's the most important thing is to teach your kids that thoughts are things and they can choose a different thought at any time. Wow. I absolutely freaking love that. That's just period advice for anybody. Like For that anybody, is, right? Oh, that is so awesome. So is, is this part of what you're going to teach at Mommy Millionaire? Do you touch on this? Or like, okay. what are the staples that you teach at Mommy Millionaire at the event? Oh up? my gosh. I'm so excited. So I'm going to talk about sales. That's really what I'm going to be talking about is the mindset and the posture, first of all, is the most important thing. 
and how you being you will actually attract the right clients to you. And I think a lot of people, they want to be Chris Harder. They want to be Kayla Craft. They want to be the Gary V's of the world. And you just got to be you and the right people will come. And so I'm going to be talking about like owning your story, owning your power, and, and how that will equate to more sales. Why are you so good at sales? I think it's because I'm so sure of who I am and what I bring to the table. And I think a lot of people waver on that. So right? at this event, I, I mean, this is a real question. At this event, do you think you're going to be able to translate that skill set into the women in this crowd? Yes, because I'm going to coach people live. I'm going to bring them up on the stage and coach them through to help them change their posture. And when people get... I mean, you've seen it because you've probably... I, I know you've been to Tony Robbins events. I've never been to a Tony Robbins event. But I've seen his Netflix documentary. So I know he does <laughs> like this. Like the same thing. <laughs> you know? Um, so like a lot of people will be coming up on the stage and I'm going to coach them. And in about 15 minutes, people can have an emotional transformation that will cause them to live a different life afterwards. Mm. I see it all the time in my membership group. I mean, people are radically being transformed in just 15 minutes of coaching with me. And it's just... Yeah. So yes, they will. And you can even change by watching somebody else transform mm -hmm. in True. front of you. You got to find yourself in their lesson. It's so yep. powerful being able to do that. Okay, so you're gonna be bringing people up on stage. You're gonna be doing these yep. 15 minute transformations. How many people so like get the privilege of getting this one on one coaching? We'll see. I don't know. At least 10 people. I literally I can't wait to watch this unfold. This is gonna be insane. I know. I'm so excited you're gonna be there. Seriously, oh, it's gonna be like off the charts. Good. You know, you asked me. To talk about scaling and hiring. Matter of fact, we're adding yet another team. We had another team member two weeks ago. We're adding another one now. I just posted the ad today. Like talking about scaling in the right way totally lights me up because you cannot get there without a team. You're, you're ready for this? Somebody asked me the other day, they said, What's the biggest difference between a six figure earner and a seven figure earner? And my answer is, I don't care what freaking industry you're in. The difference is, are you building a team or are you trying to muscle it out yourself? Yes. And building that right team is. In the same business, in the same selling the same widgets, doing the same stuff with the same marketing, if you just switch from you doing everything to building a team, it'll take you from six to seven figures. Okay, so what do you say to those people that are listening in right now? They've probably been stuck at a hundred thousand for years, mm -hmm. um, and they think they can't afford to hire people mm -hmm. um, because, first of all, they don't have time for it. And then that's going to take money out of their pocket, blah, 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 blah. What do you say to them? Okay. So I'm going to tell you a, a real story to help answer this question. Uh, when Lori and I went broke and we had to start from all, you know, from this tiny little apartment in Minneapolis all over again, we, uh, I sat out and I said, Lori, I want to hire cleaners that come to the house once a week and I want them to do all the laundry, all the cleaning, all the everything so that you don't have to burn the time and the energy doing that. And she thought I was crazy because here we just, went broke and had to, quote, pinch every penny to, to mm -hmm. put this business back together, right? And so she thought I was crazy, but I said, you got to trust me. I just know this is the right thing to do. How are we going to build really good businesses when you're doing laundry and folding laundry and you know, we're cleaning the house and we're doing all these other things that suck the life out of you? And so we hired this cleaning company to come to the house once a week for the entire day. And I remember we totally quote, could not afford it at the time. And I remember how much it was because it was so painful writing that check each time. It was... You're going to laugh now. It was $91 a week. It was $91 a week to have them come do all of this stuff for us um, every single week. Now, the power 
that we received back by paying them that measly $91 a week. That was a lot of money back then though. That's over 400 bucks a month. I got to tell you, that was when we discovered first, your success comes after you delegate. It doesn't come... You don't first get successful and then delegate. Now, here's what I encourage everyone to do. If you literally don't have... You cannot squeeze two more pennies out of your budget to start delegating things. Then you can trade. You can do favors. You can barter. You can give tiny uh, profit-sharing opportunities in your company. You can do a lot of resourceful, clever things to still get the professionals to work with you until you get to the point where you can build a team and hire these things out. And so the excuse of, I can't afford it, is just a BS excuse. It's not a real excuse. You're not getting creative enough and going out there and asking people, hey, if I do X, Y, and Z for you, would you be able to do my sales copy? Hey, if I give you a small, tiny piece of the revenue share, would you be able to build my website or Mm. my membership site? If I you know, um, promise to pay you a certain percentage of the upside from where I am right now to where you get me, would you do my Facebook ads for me? People aren't willing to go out and make these kinds of deals, or at least they're not resourceful enough to think of it. Okay. That is one of the things I love most about you is how resourceful you are. And I feel like it's contagious. It rubbed off on Chase and I. Now, so, but how did, how did you learn that? Were your mom and dad like that or... Now, Lori, oh my God, talk about full circle moment. This goes all the way back to you say, who's the most important person in my life? Lori grew up doing everything on her own and like installing kitchen cabinets and baths as a teenager. And, you know, she could fix anything and grew up in this middle of nowhere, tiny town in the middle of upper Michigan, which is like basically rural Canada. I don't know, somehow it got stuck onto the US. And uh, I'm telling you, she is so resourceful. And the small things did not bother her. She had a figure it out mentality that that rubbed off on me. So the same way, this is so crazy ironic that you said, hey, this rubbed off on me and Chase. The same way that rubbed off on you guys, it rubbed off on me. So we all actually have Lori to thank for this resourcefulness, this get it done-ness, this figure it out and stop your bitching-ness. That's one of the greatest traits she has instilled in me. Oh my gosh. Yay. Because well, I was the opposite. You, I was a prima donna. I was... Remember, perfectionist, if I wasn't mm-hmm. going to knock it out of the park, I wasn't going to try it. Or if I wasn't mm-hmm. going to look good, I wasn't going to do it. And that really included, I wasn't going to ask for help. Or I wasn't mm-hmm. going to say, I can't afford this right now, so could we barter? Or I wasn't... You know what I mean? Like That yeah. was not in my traits until Lori said, stop being such a douche and let's just roll up our sleeves and get it done. I love that. I love you, Lori. <laughs> She's listening in. But this so- is so important when you're getting started. People oh. need, if you're listening and you're just getting started, this is part of the secret sauce, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, every like very successful person I talk to, it's all about the team. Mm-hmm. Like as you go up and up and up to seven to eight figures, they're like, oh, it's just about getting the right team members on board, yep. you know, to all row in the same direction. I'm like, okay. So if every person's saying that, that's a clue. Success yep. leads clues. So, you know, when we're, we're talking about all this like success and money, you talk a ton about your money principles, and I know you have a course with it. But you know, I think a lot of people like they hate talking about money, mm-hmm. and how you make it sound so. I mean, obviously, your podcast is called "For the Love of Money." You guys, how do you or how did you start to become obsessed with the "For Love of Money" concept? So, you know, they always say you teach what you need the most, right? This is really just me working this shit out out loud. I'm serious. Um, I grew up knowing two things. Number one, 
I grew up, for some strange reason, at the earliest of my memories, loving nice things. When I had all these Matchbox cars, I'd only play with like the limos and the Jaguars and like the nice cars. It's so weird. My mom loves to tell this story. And um, so I loved nice houses, nice cars, nice clothes, all these things at an age that was too early to have any outside influences like making me like nice things. So I knew that to be true about myself. But I also knew that I was very generous from an early age. And this one, I can thank my parents for because, again, in my earliest memories, when we'd be in church and the offering plate would come around, they would give us the money to put in the offering plate. And they would explain to us at brunch afterwards, hey, here's why we give a little bit more than the average family. And we were just middle class. So it's not like we were rolling in money or something. But here's why we give a little bit more than the average person that you see put money in the offering plate. Here's where it goes. Here's the people that need it. Um, when we would tip the servers, when we'd go out as a as parents, my parents would make us figure out the tip and they would make us round up or make it a little bit bigger. And they would explain, here's what a normal tip is, but here's why we tip more because that person is away from their family right now. Or this might be a second job or you know, an extra $5 to them is uh, a message of you're doing an outstanding job, but an extra $5 to us, we won't feel. So just really neat lessons growing up that made me wildly generous. And then that translated into as being generous in uh, middle school and in high school and in college already. And so I had these two things that most people, and certainly inside of me, felt like a, a true polarization, true dichotomy. And that is, I'm supposed to be motivated enough to make enough money to be generous, but I'm not supposed to be motivated by the things that motivate me. Because heaven forbid you talk about nice things or desire nice things or quote, want to be rich. And that didn't reconcile for me. And so I, I literally set out on this journey to say, wait a minute, why do I feel these two things so strongly? Why do they coexist in me? And quite honestly, why do I think it makes sense that when good people make good money, they do great things? And that became the mission that I set out to explain and share and teach to everybody else out there. And I feel like it's like spread like wildfire. Like, I love seeing the hashtag. If you just guys, if you guys go to Instagram and check out the hashtag for the love of money, there's so many people showing ways that they're generous. Um, and I know that like sometimes when you feel like you don't have enough, you want to hold on so tightly to what it is that you have. But when you make like a sacrifice to give the shirt off your back or whatever it is, where it's like, gosh, this hurts to give this, yeah. I feel like you're rewarded. And it might not be like a monetary way that you're rewarded, but it ends up coming back to you. Do you do you agree with that? I totally agree. Listen, putting that money out into the system that you want to pay you back tenfold is the only way to participate in the system. Here's what happens. People, there's this great big... I want you to picture like this circle of money flowing out there. And it's just this big loop. And there's all these coins and dollars and everything you know, floating around in midair in this big circle out there. And some people are participating in it and some people are sitting on the sidelines saying, boy, I wish some of that money would fall out here to me. That's not the way it works. You have to give. So you have to give from a generosity standpoint. You have to give from a charitable standpoint. You have to give as in giving to your, more to your employees by hiring and creating more positions, giving more to your Facebook ad budget, giving more to your marketing budget, giving more... Like You have to give into the very same system that you're expecting to pay you back tenfold. If you don't participate in the system, you don't get anything out of the system. And so there's so many different ways to give and you must give in all of those ways or you are not going to get anything back. And here's the crazy thing about the way the world works. You don't give to get, right? That's not the right order to do things. 
but it's just the way the damn world works. <laughs> so if it's just the way the damn world works, then you might as well participate in it to your fullest. Hmm. Well, see, I, I think that when you do give, it's okay to expect a reward in some way. And the reward might be that you just feel good. Yep. about it. Yep. Right? So it's like, I think that some people humbly give mm-hmm. and they like are super prideful about being humble yeah. about that not bugs telling me. Anybody. Can I tell you why that bugs me? Oh God, it bugs me too. It bugs <laughs> me because then they're like trying to be holier than thou. Like, oh, I do it, but I would never tell you about it. Right? I, get off your freaking soapbox and stop giving in the dark. Because when you give in the dark, then you can't inspire anybody else to see you giving or hear about you giving and spark the idea of, oh, that's cool. I should give that too. Or maybe I should give more. So I'm not saying show all you're giving, but I'm also saying stop giving everything in the dark and acting like you're so freaking holier than thou that you would never talk about it because you're not inspiring anybody. You're planting the seed in anyone else's mind. It's the same reason that when you are in a coffee line and you buy coffee for the person behind you, and then that person's like, that's awesome. I'm going to do it for the person behind me. And then they do it. And it turns into this 40-person chain of free coffees. That is what happens when you give where people can see or hear about it. Mm. It just got me like excited. I'm like, oh, I'm going to a coffee shop tomorrow. I got to buy everybody behind me their coffee. You know, life is so short. And if, you know, today was your last day on earth, how would you want to be spending it, Chris? Surrounded by my friends and my family, literally just here at the house. I don't even need an exotic destination and tons of sushi and pizza and noodles. And uh, then everybody would go home somewhere in the late afternoon and I would just spend the rest of that evening stuffing my face and reminiscing about (laughs) all the funny memories and and all the moments with Lori until all of a sudden the lights went out. Aww. That's so sweet. What about you? You know, I always see like I go to like the extravagant side Mm -hmm. of things. I'm like, okay. I like that. That's what makes us all different. Yeah. Like I want to be, I don't know, I want to do a hot air balloon ride with my kids. I want to skydive with my kids. I want to do like all the crazy crap that right now, like I would be like, no, like I won't let myself do anything crazy right now until Mm -hmm. my kids are older because I just have this thing like, what if something happened to me? Like I just won't. But so that's what I would do. I would spend the whole day just doing crazy crap with my kids and just having the best time. Notice the common thread though. You'd be with the people that you love. Absolutely. Doing what you love, right? Even if you don't do it right now, you know intuitively that you're going to love it. That's why you want to do it. And mm-hmm. so that's... If we could just do more of this in life and make this more of a priority, do things that you love with the people that you love. I That to me is probably as great of a definition of success as there is out there. But, but here's a caveat. What does it take in order to put yourself in position to do what you love with who you love and nothing but that. It takes... Are you asking me? <laughs> yeah. It takes money. It takes <laughs> money. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, this whole idea of, oh, I don't need money to be happier. Oh, I'm not doing it for the money is bullshit. Because if the ultimate success is doing what you love with the people that you love and having that choice, well, money is the only way you get that choice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I remember the first time I met you, Chris. It was... I met you and Lori. And I don't know if you remember this. And Nick. On a Virgin America plane. Oh my God, I do. Yes. And I think it was Dallas, Texas. Yep. You were were sitting in front of us to the left. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With this weird guy that you actually knew. Yeah. He worked at HSBC with me. That whole day is weird. I can't believe you remember this. Yes. Okay. But I thought, gosh, he's so nice. 
I, that's what I thought about you and Lori, because I had heard like multiple things about you guys. Like I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And then when I met you guys, gosh, they're, they're like extremely nice. Why are they being so nice to me? <laughs> and, um, you know, do you believe that first impressions are important? Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I, I don't believe that you only get a first impression. Once in a while, I think you get a second chance. But I think first impressions count for so freaking much. What can people do to make their first impression count? Because I believe that if you want to make really great money, you have to have really great connections. Yeah. So come from a place that is purely of service, not from what can I get from this person. Here, I hate to keep going back to this reference because I don't want people to be like, you know, all he does is, is name drop, but it's such a good story. <laughs> when we had dinner with Gary Vee last week, we did not go into that dinner and say, can you tell me about Instagram? Can you tell me about TikTok? Can you tell me about this? What should I do with my business? What should I... There was zero of that talk, literally zero. It was, tell me about your fi- family dynamic when dad's so well known and you kind of keep your family out of the picture. And then we went down the rabbit hole with that because we were with um, Craig and Danette who have kids. And then it was talking about, like I mentioned earlier, this dynamic between more men should be at home taking care of the kids and more women who are actually the type A in the relationship should be out earning. And then it was this huge conversation around when people put you on a pedestal, they think you're an expert at everything. And, and really, you're not. You're an expert at just a few things. And if you're smart, you never buy into the hype that you think you know about the other things. You just stay in your, your field of a few things. And it was just... it was sitting there with a peer and wondering how you can have a good time sitting down breaking bread instead of going into it with what could I get? What could I learn? And so that's a long answer to your question of how do you make first impressions count? The answer is go into it with how can I be of service? Not what can I get? Okay. This is so good because... You know, a lot of people, they make first impressions on social media mm-hmm. nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, my DMs, I'm sure yours are too, filled with requests of how I can help them. Mm-hmm. Hey, I listened to your podcast. Can I be on it? Because I know X, Y, and Z. Oh. Hey, X, Y, and Z, will you help me with this? Like, I'm like, no. Like, I literally, I just ignore those FYI for anybody mm-hmm. listening. I, I ignore because, and I, blo- I usually block because I'm like, nope, I don't need that type of energy. In my space, what what do you do? It's like I want to help them, but then it's like, how do I? You know what I mean? Like sometimes I want to get on a voice message and be like, "Hey, actually, like this was the wrong way." Yeah, to you, get you in feel my like life. you want to help teach them. You know, yeah. I, I I actually don't. <laughs> don't have time for that, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't take on that responsibility of teaching them. I'll usually point them in another direction. So instead of teaching them a lesson, or instead of ignoring them, I'll simply point them in, in an alternative direction. So let's. I'll give you a real life example. Somebody came to me today. Oh God, try having a brand about money and generosity. Can you imagine how many requests I get in my oh, DMs? Yeah. So somebody came to me today and they've got this great big gap in, in their, their charity and somebody backed out and, and they're hoping I would come save the day and, and fill this $10,000 gap. And uh, I said, you know, while I am happy to contribute something towards it, I'm not going to swoop in and save the day. I don't know anything about your charity and I haven't vetted it. So not only will I donate a little bit, but more importantly, here's what I think you should do. I think that you should put together a GoFundMe link or a, a link from your charity. And I think that you should take to social media and you should rally the troops and you should get a, a small little 
donation from a lot of people mm-hmm. instead of asking army. for a big donation from, you know, hoping one person mm-hmm. comes and saves the day. And they're out there raising money just as eight, nine hours ago. They're out there raising money. I've kind of been keeping an eye on it as we speak. So I just try to point them in a different direction. Well, that's really nice of you and mature of you. <laughs> I, I just love how you say that. But you know, that's why I'm going to a silent retreat this weekend is because I just get annoyed. I'm like, oh my God. Because what would your response be to that exact DM? I wouldn't respond. I would block. Yeah, just delete and block. But you know, I have three kids. So that's my... I mean, if I, if I need an excuse, that's just what I say. That's I have a really kids, good so built-in I just, excuse. I just block. That's a really good built-in excuse. Sorry, I if got I'm kids. Late, yeah, if I'm late, sorry, I have three kids. I tell people, honestly, I say, listen, I'm, I'm outside of my bandwidth right now. And so this is not something I can make time for. I apologize. Although, keep doing what you're doing. You know, it's really impressive to see something like that. I love that. I love that. <sighs> okay. Well, this has been amazing, but I need to ask you one question. Okay. One more question. All right. What is the most shameless thing? Because Mommy Millionaire tagline is be shameless mm. in pursuing your ambition. Okay. So, what is the most shameless thing you've done? I ask every guest this too to build your business. Like scandalous, shameless. This is. I mean, a it, tough I, I've one. heard lots of things. You know, I've heard lots of things. This is a good one. Okay, the most shameless thing I've done to build my business. I really want to make sure I give a good answer to this too. You know what? I, I, this is probably not the answer you're looking for, but I, any answer is good. You, you experienced this firsthand. We had such a good mastermind last year that I said, ooh, let's make it bigger and let's make even more money off of it this year. And so I added like 10 more people, 12 more people to the mastermind. And the shameless thing I did was I'm a really good salesperson. So if I get you on the phone, it's a really good chance you're going to say yes. And these people just barely squeaked over the minimum dollar amount to be a part of the mastermind, you know, that, that minimum qualification. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I pushed them over the hump. And sure enough, Maybe three, four months into it, it was a financial, the investment was a financial burden on them compared to how much money they were making. And because they were more in the beginning stages of their businesses, they needed something more hands on than a mastermind, which, you know, the benefit is drawn out over the course of a year. They need something that moved the needle faster. And I literally had five young couples all dip out of the mastermind because they were the wrong fit. And I even have a, a no refunds, no exits clause in the contract that you've seen. Yet I knew the shameless thing that I did was I was able to sell them into it and realized, wow, this is too big of an investment for where they're at right now. So um, it was shameless to push them over the, the hump, but at least you know we realized that was a mistake later and, and let them out of their contract and shrunk the mastermind back down a little bit. <laughs> Why are you I'm, laughing? I- <laughs> because I mean, I just feel like, yeah, if, if people get on the phone with Chris Harder, they're just going to be like, what do you need? Like, do you want me to sell a kid, a kidney on the black market? Like, how do I get into the circle? And so it sounds like, yeah, you're just like, whatever you got to do, do it. <laughs> yeah. See, that's one of the problems with being a good salesperson and really believing in your stuff. You believe yep. if you get somebody in there at any expense that you're going to change your life and that's not always the cause. Yep. The same thing happened to me. Uh, this year. And we've talked about that before. Yep. But this year was such a, a growing 
year, mm-hmm. a year of growth. That's a better word. Am I growing? Isn't every year? Like my favorite <laughs> is. thing is having a few friends like you guys to grow the crap out of ourselves with it, who actually mm-hmm. get it. All right, I got yeah. one last question for you. Okay, okay. Give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success. Okay, when you are apologetic about who you are and what you want, you serve nobody. Mm. You serve nobody. You inspire nobody. You cause people to continue to play small in their lives. And at the end of the day, you'll die with regrets. Mm. And who wants to live a life like that? Who wants to be on their deathbed? You know, going, gosh, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I know I could have done this. You know? And that's why, like, the time is now. The time will never be perfect for you to go after your dreams and to step into your power. The time will never be perfect. So you just have to make a decision and declare to the world that, like, enough is enough. And I am enough. Mm. And I am worthy of anything I've ever dreamed of in my life. And if you get around people, I swear to God, if you get around people like me, like Chris, like people that are going to be at Mommy Millionaire Live, The Bliss Project, all those kinds of events, guess what? You start to believe it and you start to show up for yourself and play bigger and accept nothing but the best for your life. I freaking love that. And I want you to give one shout out to Mommy Millionaire Live because I think there's a few (laughs) tickets left for people to join us. There's like seriously a, a very small amount. I'm going to um, be there. You're going to be there. Who else is going to be there? Did you did you, did you know that Drew's coming now? Did yeah, you know I it? saw that. You're, uh, Chase told me that Drew's coming. Like, I love this dream lineup. Yes, I just said that about myself. I love speaking and teaching. <laughs> I love this dream lineup that's going to be there. Where yeah. can they get tickets? The last handful that remain. And you can, you can go to mommymillionaire.co. Okay. Yeah. Dot co, and everybody. It, dot co. Dot co. And okay. that is not a... Yeah, it's not an accident. Uh, and then also for everybody that's in your audience, Chris, they get a 10% off code. So it's just Chris10 and they can get 10% off of the, of the ticket. Any caps or anything? Chris, just regular oh, Chris10? Okay. Yep. So guys, 10% off the last few tickets remaining. Use Chris10 when you check out. Go to mommymillionaire.co. You're going to get a chance to see not only Kayla and I teach, but Drew Canoli teach, a whole bunch of other awesome people teach. And it's a very intimate feeling event. So there's a lot of like, sharing ideas with us, rubbing elbows with us, um, asking us questions. Kayla's going to do some live coaching. So it is October 20... Fill in the blank. October 24th through the 26th. I love it. In Arizona. Yes. Okay. So one last question before I let you go, Chris. I know we're going. But why do people even need to go to events? Why do events change you? Here's why. Everybody is wondering, where's the people that get me? Now that I've transcended, why are my friends no longer supporting me? Or why do I feel like they don't like me once I've finally become successful? Because the people that are like-minded, the people that get where you're at, the people that have those same questions because now they're doing bold things, they're all going to the events. So if you feel like you've ever been missing tribe, if you feel like you've ever been missing the people that understand you now that you're transcending, if you feel like uh, you're absolutely... You know, you live in one of these towns where you're like, oh, nobody around here gets me. Yeah, you're right. They probably don't. You got to get your tail on an airplane and get to an event where everybody else is saying and thinking the same things. And that's where you find your posse. That's where you find your tribe. That's where you create your virtual masterminds where you check in with each other. That's where you find your new best friends or that's where you find your business partners that are going to say, oh, I'll do your Facebook ads for you. Or, oh, I'm really good at writing sales copy. Or, oh, I can do some graphic arts for you. Or, I know somebody who can do these things. Everything you're seeking is sitting in a seat next to you at a freaking event. Oh my gosh. 
So good. Chris, you have been amazing. I learned so much today. As have you. I can't wait to go storm New York with you guys in a couple of weeks. It's going to be so much fun. But in the meantime, everyone, I will see you with Kayla in person in Arizona, October 24th and 25th at mommymillionaire.co. Go grab those last few tickets. Thank you. Adios. Wait, if you love this episode, you got to take a screenshot and tag both me and Chris. Should we give away a prize if they do? What should we give away? One coaching call each? Let's give away an Aston Martin. No, hell no. How about the one that that Chase is going to get? Now you're not giving away mine. Uh, yeah, let's give away a coaching call. That's good. Okay, should it be a joint coaching call or should it be you yes. you choose one, I choose one? No, it has to be together. All right, yep. that'd be really badass. So we're going to choose one person out of everybody that shares this episode and tags us. We're going to choose one person and do a joint coaching call with. That's pretty powerful. So that, yeah, and so that means make it meaningful why you share. Yep. Like, you know, put a little, put some good text. Your biggest takeaway. I freaking love that. <laughs> All right, Kayla, we'll see you soon. Okay, yay! Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.